What's good, guys? This is Please Confirm, the podcast where we break down all things questionable that you don't have time to Google. My name's Mel. And my name is Kat. And Amanda Knox, if you're listening, please confirm. So, Mel... What have you been up to this week, you crazy girl? <laughs> oh my god, hi, sis. Ugh. So many things are happening during the queue, during our sweet, sweet quarantine. Um, honestly, my life is just a consistent like fog of me watching Real Housewives of New York. It's sickening. Like uh, I like, I think I'm the most, like, up-to-date person on all things Real Housewives franchise-related. Like, I literally watched them all. I, I've watched – this is my third time watching New York, like, from the beginning. And there's, like, 12 – like, 10 or 11 seasons. Like, I'm sick. But it's just so good, and I have to have it constantly playing at all times. And, I like, anyone who comes into my apartment, like, I'm watching that. And, so like, they have to watch it. So, like, now my roommate's involved. Like, the whole thing is – it's like a pyramid scheme. Like, I can't get out of it. I'm trapped. <laughs> and I just, like, need a new show. So if anyone has any good reality TV shows, let me know. Because I probably have already watched it, but let me know. Well, as long as you're happy, I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> I think I'm happy, right? <laughs> yeah. So if, if you care to know anything about me and what – is going on in my life. I'm having truly a series of unfortunate dates. I have been on <laughs> quite the few quarantine dates. Um, I am shamefully on the apps, if you will. Don't and say shamefully. <laughs> totally be like I went to a wedding where they met on Tinder. Like it's totally cool. Oh my gosh, right. We were at that wedding together. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we, we both were there. So it works. They definitely work. I know, Sometimes. I know. But it's very discouraging. And like I'm just like in the mood. Like I'm ready to be in love, if you will. Like I'm ready to be committed. <laughs> as disgusting <laughs> as that sounds. My body is ready. My mind is ready. Like, my dog is ready. She needs a male figure in her life, so. If anyone out there is interested, Kat is ready. So (laughs) throwing that one out there into the universe, see if someone picks it up. Yeah. Our new listeners. (laughs) Okay, should we jump into our episode? Please, God, yes. All right, guys, this week, I don't even know where to begin with this story because I am so, I'm actually very nervous for this episode because I want to do it justice. And like, there's just so much to unpack. It's incredibly overwhelming. But anyways, this week we are talking about Amanda Knox. And this, oh God, guys, this story, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm sweating. I'm getting nervous. Like, there's just, <laughs> She's sweating. <laughs> I'm sweating. There's just a lot happening. A lot's happening over here. But anyways, let's get into it. So before we jump in, this week's episode was brought to you by Biography.com and um, the New York Times, as well as Amanda Knox, the Netflix documentary. And 10 out of 10 recommend the documentary if you haven't seen it. Um, it's really well done and it's kind of scary when the story isn't necessarily scary. Like it's just, it brings so many emotions and it's really good. So 10 out of 10 would recommend. So yeah, this week we're breaking down Amanda Knox and her story. And if you haven't heard of it, it's quite the treat. So put on your seatbelt because things are going to get crazy. I'm strapped in. I'm, I'm truly ready to hear this and to preface this as well. I know very little about Amanda Knox, so I'm ready to have my socks blown off, if you will. <laughs> I'm so excited. I can't Knock wait. Knock them off, baby. Let's go. <laughs> so I would just like to preface this by saying that I remember when this 
story, like hit the news and like when it was happening. Um, so the story sets place in 2007 and we'll get to it in a second. But I remember I was in elementary school at the time and I it was like over Thanksgiving break. And I was in New Jersey with my family for break. And I remember like I was too young to understand what was going on. But I specifically remember them like constantly watching the news and talking about it and like discussing at dinner, like what their opinions were and like Obviously, I was in elementary school, so, like, I didn't know what was what. Um, But I just remember, like, it was this huge international event. And so before I was um, researching for this story, I called my mom and I was like, the Amanda Knox story, like, what do you know? And she was like, oh, my gosh. And she was like, that was all happening, like, so many years ago. It's just guys, I'm just I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. It's so crazy. And oh I'm my obsessed. God, we should have had your mother on as a co-host, a special appearance. I love her. She's so sweet. <laughs> like the most important celebrity we could have, Mel's mom. <laughs> Truly an icon. So who is Amanda Knox? So Amanda Knox is from Seattle, Washington. Um, And she was tried and convicted for the murder of British student Meredith Kircher, who died from knife wounds in an apartment that they shared um, together in 2007. So basically, Amanda Knox was studying abroad, and she did her exchange program in Perugia, Italy. And um, that November, her British roommate, so they were random roommates, her name was Meredith Kircher, was murdered in their apartment. Wait, Mel, I just have to pause for a second. This could have literally been your life. Like, people that don't know Mel, she studied abroad in Italy and also had random roommates. Like, this could have been you. (laughs) I would just like everyone to know I had nine fucking random roommates. There was nine girls in an apartment. (laughs) I was in the same boat. I was with nine other human beings in Madrid and – Honestly, best best decision I've ever made. Will I ever make that decision again? Absolutely not. The dishes were never done. Oh my god! There's a time <sighs> and a place for nine other roommates, and that's when you're studying abroad. Sorry, just had to point out that you could have literally been Amanda Knox. Thank literally. God. Literally. Thank God. I like think I made a mental note in my head to be like that could have been us. So crazy. But if you have the chance to study abroad, do it because it's just the best six months of your life. Ugh, I can't even get into it because I'm going to get nostalgic. <laughs> Whoa there. No tears on the pod. <laughs> I'm already sweating. I can't start crying. It's, it's too much. <laughs> too, too many uh, fluids coming out of your body at once. <laughs> <laughs> too many fluids. Too many bodily functions. Anyways. <laughs> So Amanda Knox and her then-boyfriend, Rafael Solicito, so he's Italian, um, which is why I can't say or pronounce his name correctly, Um, but essentially Amanda Knox and her boyfriend, Rafael, were both found guilty of killing Meredith Kircher and received 26 to 25 years um, of prison sentences. So... Basically, yeah. So Amanda Knox was 20 years old, living her best life, moves to Perugia to study for a year, and is only there for a little bit of time before her roommate was murdered. And she was then, yeah, she was then found guilty for killing her roommate. So let's just let that soak in for a minute. Um, so this is this is the story, and um, this is Amanda Knox's alibi for the night that happened, or the night that Meredith Kircher was killed. So, oh gosh, there's a lot. So basically, on November 1st, 2007, Amanda Knox was supposed to work at a pub called Le Chic. So during her off time off of um, school and her studies, she had a part-time job bartending at a local pub, which is super cool, and like I just think that's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, and so this is where she had her part-time job at the pub called Le Chic. So her boss was Italian, and his name is Patrick Lumbumba, I think. I don't know. We're that is such a fun last name. Like <sighs> So fun that people pronounce it incorrectly. Like, love that. Cat Lumbumba. <laughs> oh, that has a good ring to it. <laughs> So her boss, Patrick, texted her um, that night on November 1st and said that she didn't need to come in for her shift, which I think we can all relate to at some degree because, you know, like when you're waitressing or your hostessing and like your manager texts and they're like, hey, tonight's low. You don't need to come in. And you're like, fuck yes. Like night free. It's just kind of a good feeling. So just like let's all have that 
just stored in the back of our brain. Like she's excited. Yeah. And you're, you're like immediately, your immediate reaction is to grab your car keys and head to the gas station for a 12 pack of platinum. <laughs> Bud Light Platinum. Please sponsor us. Like, please, God. <laughs> oh my God. That would literally be a dream come true. Could you imagine? So she gets this text from her boss saying that he doesn't, or that she doesn't need to come in to work. So then she goes to spend the night at her boyfriend's apartment instead. A little interesting fact is that Amanda had met her boyfriend Raphael five days prior to the death or the murder of Meredith Kircher. So she had only known her boy her boyfriend for five days, and that's five business days. Five that's business nothing. days, sis. Like you barely could get an email back in five days. So the thing about Amanda that I would like to point out from the beginning was that she was definitely a little strange. So she was a little – she was really quirky and she totally admits it. Like even in the documentary, she's like, I know I'm weird. I know I'm quirky. But like I've always been like that my whole life and I'm totally comfortable with like who I am and like not being the most popular person, like not being the coolest person in the room. Like I know who I am. I'm not trying to be anyone that I'm not. So from the get-go, wow, preach it, sister. Like, I needed to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, that was, like, inspirational. Yeah, so she's definitely strange, and she owns it. But she only had met Raphael five days prior to being sentenced, or five days prior to her roommate being murdered. So the night of the killing of Meredith, she her alibi is that she was at her boyfriend's house. So then the next morning, um, after she spends the night with her boyfriend, Amanda and her boyfriend Raphael um, are reportedly returned back to her apartment around noon, and they come home and find that the front door is open, there's windows broken, and she was using the bathroom and found that there was blood in the bathroom. So she starts getting a little freaked out, obviously, and so she calls her roommate's phone, and there was no answer. Um, so then she calls her mother, who's in Seattle, and her mom was like, literally call the police, sis. Like, that's not okay. So Yeah, 911. 911 or whatever the international, like, 911 is in Italy. <laughs> so this is where, like, things start to get messy and just really weird. And I would also like to preface this by saying that the Italian police and the legal system in this trial was essentially completely botched. And this is one of the instances that this shows it like during the process and like how they handle this murder case is like completely insane. And we'll get more into that. I feel like that is a kind of a reoccurring theme with the Italian government and handling murder cases. I feel like there was another really big one, not in recent news, but Mm -hmm. a while back that it was like a huge debacle Yeah, um, because they're just like not they're just not (laughs) (laughs) so after she calls the police and tells them that there's blood in the apartment she can't find her roommate um and that the apartment's been broken into two police officers appear at the scene but these were not regular police officers they were postal police officers which i didn't i don't even know if we have that in the states but they literally don't investigate like murder crimes they investigate postal crimes so wait we're talking about like the usps like the people we're trying to save currently you're telling me they sent yes basically postal workers to this murder scene so they're legally police officers but they only deal with investigating postal crimes which i can't imagine especially in this tiny town in italy because it's not like mainstream florence or rome like i can't imagine there being an insane amount of postal crimes like i i guess like they would deal with fraud at like in some sort of capacity but they're not equipped to be handling a murder case Oh, my God. So from the <laughs> beginning, like, this just got off to a bad foot. So the cops, these quote-unquote cops, come into her apartment. Um, uh, Amanda lets them know that her roommate's missing, and so they knock down her roommate Meredith's bedroom door um, where they find Meredith's body on the floor covered with her duvet soaked in blood. Um Holy shit. Yes, this poor fucking girl is just, like, British, trying to live her best life, studying abroad, And I just – I can't even imagine, like, what this would have been like. 
So after this happens, Amanda and Raphael, so her boyfriend, were taken to the police station and for five days they were interrogated. And we also later find out that Amanda was not given an interpreter. So she's American. She speaks very, like, decent-ish Italian, but not to the point where she, like, wouldn't need an interpreter or um, a translator. So it's just so fucked up in the first place that she wasn't able to like properly get the correct information because she couldn't speak the language though like fluently so i just like imagine being in a foreign country's police station being interrogated in a language you don't know like that's horrifying that would be actually my worst nightmare because it's like you literally can't communicate I can only imagine what she was feeling. 100%. And throughout the documentary, she also mentions that she was incredibly bullied by the Italian police and even beaten while she was in police custody. And like that's not even the beginning of how bad her treatment gets with the Italian legal system. It's It gets crazy. But so she was like verbally and emotionally harassed, which is so scary being in a foreign country. So, so far from what I've told, it sounds like this girl has an alibi. She was at her boyfriend's place uh, or she was at her apartment, found out she didn't need to go into work. So she was like, hell yeah, I'm going to go spend the night at my new Italian boyfriend's place. So fun. And then ends up getting harassed by the police for the murder of her roommate. So at this point in the story, yeah. I was like – That like took such a like – Crazy turn, right? Yeah. Like this gal – like literally study abroad is the best time in college by far and she's just walked into like a gruesome scene of literally her stranger roommate being murdered like not even like died literally murdered right that is atrocious it's so sad so at this point like you would be totally sold that she didn't kill meredith kersher she has an alibi but there's there's more to come so they were being interrogated, um, and the police obviously split split her and her boyfriend up. And after days and days of interrogation, her boyfriend, Raphael, who let's remind or let's remember had only met her five days prior, admitted that Amanda could have left his apartment in the middle of the night while he was sleeping. Are you serious? Yeah. And the way that it it just is crazy to me because theoretically Yes, like she could have done that, but she showed no prior experience to leaving in the middle of the night, going to go do something sketchy and then coming back. Like anyone could get up in the middle of the night and go do – like it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, why would he even mention that? Obviously, he has no allegiance to Amanda whatsoever, and he's definitely trying to save his own ass, which I would say in the American legal system would be a red flag. Right. Totally. So then the detectives present this information to Amanda and she, you know, broke VF down. Obviously, she freaked out and ended up signing a confession saying that she had returned to her apartment the night of November 1st, 2007 and had been standing in the room while Patrick, her boss of the bar, stabbed Meredith Kircher to death. What? So WTF. Basically, and the way that she describes it in the documentary was that she had gone through such like mental and like physical abuse while she was being interrogated. Like, I can't even imagine. She like got so crazy to the point where she was like, literally, like, maybe I could have possibly gone up or like woken up in the middle of the night and like gone and like went back to my apartment and Patrick was there and he killed her. Like that could have happened. Like she was in such a mental, like a terrible mental state that she physically thought that could have happened. What? Oh my gosh. And I'm also just thinking about the fact that this confession was definitely in Italian. So she probably really didn't even know what she was signing. Right. Like this poor girl. Yeah. So basically she confesses to leaving her boyfriend's apartment and um, she goes to her apartment, and then in the next room, Patrick, her boss, is um, raped and then killed her roommate. And so it's just insane. She was interrogated, bullied physically, mentally, just leaving her in a really terrible state. It was It was no bueno. So the police are just playing mental tricks to her at this point, um, but she confessed. So legally, she did say, you know, that this happened. 
So five days later, on November 6, 2007, Italian police announced that Meredith Kircher's killers had been found, which was Amanda Knox and her boyfriend, Raphael, and they were arrested. Amanda's boss, Patrick, had an alibi, and he was seen bartending at his bar, Le Chic, the night that, um, that Meredith was murdered. So he was not even questioned. What? <laughs> yeah. This was just crazy. They were, like, obviously just trying to, like, button this up quick. Right. Get it, like, get it going, get it over with, and convict people that they don't even have, like, where's the physical evidence? This is all hearsay, essentially. What? It, yeah, it's all hearsay. It's all... There's no hard evidence, no hard facts. Like she's saying, oh, yeah, maybe I sleptwalked to my apartment yeah. and saw my manager who was actually at the bar working. <laughs> it makes no sense. So then two weeks later, the forensic lab reported the results of the examination of the DNA that was taken from the crime scene. So the majority of the evidence came from the knife that was used to kill Meredith. What's crazy is that the evidence doesn't even point to Amanda or her boyfriend Raphael. It's pointed to someone else. There is a now fourth person in the picture. So we have Amanda Knox, we have Raphael, her boyfriend, we have Patrick, who is the bar manager. And now we have a new suspect named Rudy Goudet. I'm not sure how to say his last name. This guy, Rudy, was a local townie and he was friends with the people who lived in the apartment below Amanda and Meredith's um, apartment. So the evidence on this knife point to this guy, Rudy. Somehow Amanda and um, her boyfriend have still been arrested, even though that there's specific evidence pointing to someone else. So once the DNA is collected, Rudy is accused of several burglaries beforehand and has a history in the town for like being a townie, like being kind of sketchy, that kind of thing. Um, But he didn't have any convictions on his record of murder or anything like really crazy. But let's note, I've watched many a Criminal Minds episode and the first thing they look as if the suspect has a background, even small. Any background can lead to someone escalating. Totally. So Rudy was immediately arrested and admitted to being at the murder scene, but stated that he did not kill Meredith. He also stated that Amanda Knox and her boyfriend Raphael were not involved. Wait, so literally this townie guy was like, yeah, I was there, Mm -hmm. but... I did not kill Meredith. <laughs> like, I don't even have the words for it. Yeah. So basically, he was like, yeah, I was there. But, like, Amanda and her boyfriend weren't there. But, yeah, I was there. But I didn't kill Meredith. Don't worry. Exactly. It makes no sense. It makes – What the hell was he doing there then? Exactly. So then he ends up going for like a fast track trial. Um, So in October 2008, which is a little less than a year after the initial killing of Meredith, he was found guilty of murder and sexual assault of Meredith Kircher and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. So part like half of this equation has been quote unquote solved. Rudy says that he did not kill her, but he was there the night of the murder and um, but then gets charged and is goes to jail but he says that so basically he 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 pleads guilty Mm -hmm. to not serve life in prison is basically what's happening exactly so he says yeah i was there and like i was an accessory to murder Mm -hmm. but i didn't actually kill her and i never confessed to it yeah So one thing that I want to point out that was something that they really harped on a lot in the documentary um, was one of the scientists or whatever investigator who was looking at the DNA evidence. One thing that they said was the way that Meredith Kircher's body was found. So she was she had been raped and then she was stabbed in the neck, but her body was found on the ground with her duvet covering her and Historically, it's found that women who commit crimes tend to cover the body, whereas men who commit rape and then crime um, and then um, murder don't ever cover up the body. So originally, they were assuming that the person who had killed Meredith was a woman because of that. 
Isn't that crazy? Right. And covering her up with a duvet would be seen as like um, having remorse after the fact. Exactly. So another thing that was really interesting was the way that the break-in had happened. Um, Detectives said that they thought it had been staged just by the way that um, the glass had been shattered. It all looked like it had been too perfect, quote-unquote. So there was also something super sketchy about um, the way her body was found and also the way that the apartment was broken into, which is interesting. Yeah, and mind you, like, they sent postal office workers to investigate this crime scene. So for all we know, the postal office people could have arranged this crime scene. Totally. (laughs) So... So Rudy um, chooses the fast track, and then he's sentenced to 30 years in prison. So Amanda and Raphael chose to have a full trial, and they were tried together, which I think is interesting, and I, I guess they probably had an, a, like a, an option to choose whether they wanted to be tried together or separately. So I'm not really sure. Like, I don't know the, the legal, like, logistics behind it, but I'm wondering if they had been tried separately, if things would have been – or things would have resulted completely differently. I don't know. Not a lawyer, but – yeah, yeah, that's interesting because they're also not married, so... Yeah, like, they've known each other five days. Oh my gosh, I just... Can you believe it? Like, literally stumbling upon your Italian boyfriend, like, haven't we all been there? And then five days later, y'all are being accused of murder? Major yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot imagine. can't imagine. So they were tried together, and the Perugian prosecutor, his name was Giuliano McGinney, he was also a huge part in the Netflix documentary. So he's interviewed and is very open about his opinions about Amanda and how he still feels about the whole situation. So it's it's really interesting to hear his side of the story. But he essentially painted a picture of Amanda to the public. And that the way that he portrayed her and how he created this whole narrative just really shows a lot about how this whole thing was processed and how the trial went. So in the documentary, because this murder case ended up being like one of the biggest stories internationally, like literally my parents were talking about it in New Jersey, like while it was all happening, like the documentary is so great because there's so much footage of the actual crime scene, like their apartment, the town, like Amanda at the time with her boyfriend due to the fact that literally so many reporters were coming to Italy just to like cover the story because it was so insane. So it's really cool because you can, like, see all the footage of, like, the actual crime scene, which is really, really sad and really crazy, as well as all the footage of Amanda and her boyfriend and how they're reacting to the situation. Yeah, so, like, what were – what was going on? Like, how was Amanda and her boyfriend, like, were they being recluse? Like, Were they out in public? Like, what was going on? So you would think that a normal person, you know, would be crying and, like, freaking the F out that their roommate had been raped and murdered. But literally, their videos of her and her boyfriend are insane. Like, they're making out, like, outside of her apartment while they're detectives, like, looking at Meredith's body. It's – it's – What? It's bizarre. Like, who acts like that? And – like I I get it like she's she's an awkward person and like she owns up to that but like I'm awkward too sis but if this was me I would be like <laughs> freaking the f out like it's the weirdest thing and so because there's so many reporters there on the scene like all of this is being recorded and is being put on the news and like internationally everyone starts hating her because I mean it only makes sense like she's acting so bizarre like not like a normal person would react um And so the media begins painting her like in this absolutely horrible light. And this her like narrative just takes over the press and everyone's talking about it on the news. So it's it's like she needed a publicist like our sis definitely (laughs) needed a publicist. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like she needs like Olivia Pope ASAP like <laughs> yeah exactly. get that fo- get that footage of her making out with her boyfriend away from the media that's just insane though and also just brings up so many memories from being in Italy and like looking across the metro and like seeing a young couple just like literally going full force hard at each other in public yeah. like it just actually is like 
kind of comical because Italians are so like that, but Amanda wasn't even Italian. Exactly. It just – so then the media starts calling her Foxy Noxy and essentially make her out to be this girl who's like slept around with tons of men and when I was like, how do they – like why do they think that she's like sleeping around? Oh, this is interesting. Her diary that she kept while she was in prison awaiting for the trial was leaked to the media. So – what? All of like her private thoughts, like everything that she's experiencing, like during this fucking crazy ass time in her life, is all released to the media. Oh my god! So one of the the main reporters, I think his name is Peter, and he's British. He was interviewed during the documentary as well, and he was like the like main reporter who always got the news first. Um, and he had started creating relationships with some of the detectives, so he always got the end and always got the story before all the other reporters did. So he was like a big part in covering this case. So while he was being interviewed on the documentary, they were like, "How did you, you know, get a hold of this information?" And he's so slimy and so gross. And he was like, oh, I can't reveal my my sources. Like, what kind of journalist would I be? But somehow he knew someone or somehow got – he was the one who um, leaked the information of, like, her her diary. He sounds like a total sleazeball. Such a sleazeball. And he's super attractive, which makes the whole situation even worse. Oh, God. I was picturing him in my head, like, looking kind of like – Ron Weasley and like a rat combined, but he was like Edward Cullen meets like hot British dude. Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, damn, that's really sad. Like, he should be ugly. Yeah. So, literally, in her diary, she had was talking about everyone that she had ever slept with before because, like, she's a 20-year-old girl. Like, she needs feels the need to write this thing down, whatever. And she had had sex with, like, seven guys, which she's in college. Like, sue her, right? Right. And I will, like, maybe this was 2007, but we all know we have a list of the guys who we've slept with in our phones. At least I do. You know, just, like, take a, take a walk down memory lane. <laughs> Exactly. So this poor girl has the list of everyone she's ever slept with is released out to the entire world. And so the media, you know, makes her seem like makes her out to be the sex crazed girl. Um, And then there are all these crazy rumors that the Italian guards at the prison started. And they told Amanda that she had to get blood tested and whatnot. Um, And she was they told her that she was HIV positive. So they but she wasn't. They lied to her and told her that she was HIV positive, that she was going to die, that she's like disgusting. All he, They said all of these terrible things to her just to make her like feel like a shit person. Oh my God. So. It's, I can't she, even imagine. Like she's been through so much physical and emotional abuse. She's being convicted of her roommate's murder. And she's being told that she's HIV positive while in an Italian prison thousands of miles away from her family. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just – I could cry. Um, and she just remembers being so horrified by the whole situation. Like, she thought she was going to die. She was like, the whole world thinks I'm, like, this huge, like, slut. I don't even know what other word to use. Like, it's just it's just so embarrassing that the entire world, like, knows about your sex life. And all of these rumors that have been fabricated by Italian guards are seen to be, like, quote-unquote truth. So, basically, if you're a normal person reading about this in 2007 while it's happening, like, with the way that the media portrayed the whole situation, yeah, I would totally think that she had killed her roommate, too. Like, she's acting really weird. She's making out with her boyfriend on the side of the house where her roommate's body is still inside the house. Like, you think she's, like, this crazy sex – like, everyone thought it was, like, a sex – like, a sex capade gone bad. <laughs> and, like, that's what happened. And so, like, if I was reading about this and, like, didn't know all the facts because not everyone did, I would be like, yeah, she sounds sketchy and probably killed her roommate. Yeah. And, like, obviously her boyfriend was probably an accomplice. Exactly. 
So then on December 29, 2009, so about two years after the initial killing of Meredith Kircher, um, Amanda and her boyfriend were tried together and were both found guilty. And she was sentenced to 26 years in prison and her boyfriend, Raphael, was sentenced to 25 years in prison. That just seems like a very light sentencing for a rape and murder of a British citizen. So obviously they didn't have hard evidence to give them, you know, 50 to 70 years or life in prison. Right. Oh my gosh. So at this point in the documentary, there's like no way that she didn't do it. I was 100% dead set that she had killed her roommate and and that was that. But then after they're tried, all of this other evidence starts coming to light, which totally changes like the dynamic of the trial. So one thing that is insane to me is that the woman who tested for the DNA evidence that was interviewed on the documentary, um, so they showed the knife that was used to kill Meredith Kircher. And at first, when police used the evidence, Amanda and her boyfriend's DNA were found on the knife. So very sus, very sus. But then there were traces of DNA that were so faint that this woman said there was no way that they could have killed, they could have used this knife to kill her. So basically- Wait, so are we talking about like a kitchen knife? Like something they could have like made a sandwich with? Exactly. So what this woman says is- um, the the knife like the the percentage of dna that was found on the knife her, amanda and her boyfriend could have taken their hand and just like waved their hand over the knife and that would have and that dna would have stayed on the knife for weeks afterwards and so what? yes and so she also said this thing that was like chilling to the bone she said evidence should not be objective and the Italian police created a narrative with the evidence. So they found like a point zero 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 one percent of their evidence on the knife and just said they found the evidence they found her their DNA on the evidence, so they killed her. Oh my god. Wow. Yeah. I just like can't even. So now we're in April of, of twenty ten, which is about three years after the initial killing of Meredith Kircher. And Amanda Knox and her boyfriend, well, they're not dating anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> I would hope not. Yeah, uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> um, Amanda Knox and Raphael's lawyers filed appeals contesting the evidence and credibility um, of the witness. The appeals process began in December 2010. This time, forensic experts said that the DNA used in the first trial was unreliable. In June 2011, the defense called a witness who testified in prison, Rudy, had said that Knox and Solicito, Raphael, um, were not involved in the murder. So then on October 3rd, 2011, two years after their first trial, the murder convictions against Amanda and and, uh, Raphael were overturned. So Knox's prior conviction for defaming Patrick was upheld, and she was upset she was sentenced to three years term and fined upon the announcement. So basically after this, she goes and flies back to Seattle. So the court ended up finding because of this additional evidence that her lawyers presented, like the percentage of evidence that was found on the knife, like wasn't enough for them to actually kill someone. Um, And then they also found that the way that the trial was processed was completely botched from the beginning. So during, like you can see in all the videos in the documentary, like when detectives and police are entering their apartment from the get-go, like no one's wearing gloves, no one's suited up. And so all of the evidence was said to be completely tampered because it wasn't handled properly. So maybe if the Italian government didn't send postal post op- postal officers, they wouldn't have completely <laughs> botched this from the get-go. I also, like, of course, all of that is, like, burning a fire in my chest. But the (laughs) fact that she, even after the trial was, or the convictions were overturned, Amanda was still convicted for defaming Patrick, her boss, when the Italian government literally conned her into signing that document and saying that she watched Patrick kill Meredith. Exactly. Like, it doesn't make any sense. 
So basically, they found that the way that the Italian legal system had handled the evidence was completely unreliable and that the crime scene was not kept the way that it was found. Um, And they were accused with tampering with the evidence. So after this, so it's currently 2011. um, So it's about two years after the initial incident happened. Um, Amanda went back to Seattle and ended up going back or enrolling back into school, which I think is very crazy. I would need like some serious mental health. Like I already go to therapy once a week. I would need like a 24 hour session, like someone on duty on call around the clock supervising me if that's what my experience was yeah like such oh my god it's such a nightmare so not long after she returned home she picked up her studies at university of washington um and majored in creative writing so you can imagine all the things that she was writing she definitely was a quirky girl quirky girl she was a quirky (laughs) girl for sure So then um, in March of 2013, Knox and Raphael were both ordered to stand trial again for the murder of Kircher by the Italian Supreme Court. Oh, God. Yeah, it's insane. Italy's final court of appeal, the Court of Castan, I don't know how to say it, but they overturned the acquittals for both Knox and Raphael. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, imagine, like, coming out of all of that and then suddenly, like, bringing – like, being forced back into this life that you, like, have a pit – like, you can't even fathom. Like, I just I, – I can't imagine, like, having to go back into that deep, dark place. Yeah, and go back to a country where, like, your life and reputation was completely ruined. Exactly. So after the acquittal was overturned, the new trial began in September of 2013. Um, And Amanda made no arrangements to attend the the trial in person. So she was still in the States while it was happening. um, And Raphael attended the trial as it came to an end with a verdict. So in a decision that was just, you know, the world was like watching this as it happened because it was just so crazy. Um, Amanda Knox and Raphael were again found guilty of murdering Kircher. Um, what? There was 12 hours of deliberation by an appeals court jury that concluded by upholding the lower court's decision from 2009 against Amanda and her former boyfriend. So her boyfriend, or Raphael, received a 25-year pr- prison sentence and Amanda received um, was sentenced to 28 and a half years in prison. So then the Italian government, they they need to sit down. They need to talk. They need um I don't know, a a history class, a law class, like they need consultants. <laughs> they definitely need like Mel swoop in, like consult their asses because are you kidding me? Yeah, it's it doesn't make I'm any flabbergasted. Like, there is no other word for me right now than flabbergasted. Like, I would just want to know the answer. Like, having to go back and forth, back and forth for years of, like, all of her 20s, basically, like, dealing with this BS. I just, (sighs) yeah. So, anyways. And now she's been convicted of another 28 years of her entire life in an Italian jail cell. It's so bad. It's so bad. So then, in March of 2015, um, the Italian Supreme Court once again overturned the 2014 convictions of Amanda and Raphael, and this ruling was the actual final decision in the case against the two. Um, And she, like, I just can't imagine after, like, I don't even, like, so many years of dealing with all this, like, it was finally done. And so in the documentary, they showed the video of when she found out um, like the final verdict. And so she was with her family in Seattle. And at this point, she obviously was um, fluent in Italian because the bitch had been in prison in fucking Italy for years and years. Yeah. And so like it shows her and her family like freaking out, like so happy. And then she had like at that exact moment, um, had called Raphael, and the two of them were like crying and screaming on the phone. Oh and my god! I can was, only like, imagine. So emotional, and they were talking in Italian, and they were like, "We're both free. We're free." And I was like, "I just can't imagine." So, basically, that's the story, and pretty much everyone on the documentary thinks that she still did it. 
I don't know. I literally don't know because from the get-go, like the crime scene was sketchy. The way that the house was broken into, it all looked staged. Meredith's body was covered, which typically a woman does that. And then Amanda was like just bizarre and acting totally out of norm of what you would normally act when someone in like your roommate dies like that. So I just, I don't even know. Like there's so many like twists and turns to the story that I literally don't know where I stand, but I want to know what your reaction is. Do you think she killed Meredith Kircher? Mel, I wish I could answer that because I've been thinking about this the whole time because obviously I knew that you were going to ask me this question. There's just no evidence pointing to her. Obviously, we know she's quirky. We obviously know her actions after the murder were inappropriate. Um, But... I need, like, hard evidence. I need to know, like, we need eyewitnesses. We need DNA. We need, like, what were the stab wound trajectories on Meredith's neck? Like, did they even test her for semen because she was allegedly raped? Like, there are so many, so many, so many questions that I have that, like, until proven guilty, Amanda is free. And, like, I would have to kind of agree with that because there is no evidence pointing towards her. There's only just her weird life before (laughs) and after. And you can't chalk someone up to murder just because they're weird. Do you think that when she pled guilty for or that she confirmed that she could have potentially left her boyfriend's house in the middle of the night to do it do you like how do you feel about that does that play into your opinion at all no because I think that she was coerced to say that with all the information that you've given us like there's Mm -hmm. absolutely no way that those words were coming out of her mouth this girl was being abused like she was like get me the fuck out of here like i'll just say anything like we've even we've even seen that in um the united states with like really huge prominent cases where even like children are coerced to say things and they're tried and convicted and spend years and years and years in prison for something they simply did not do. But people's minds are manipulated so easily. Yeah. And obviously the Italian government just wanted this buttoned up and closed and moved on with. And it ended up dragging out like almost eight years. Yeah. I... <sighs> I don't know. I think, and this is my complete and unsolicited opinion, I think that she did not kill her roommate, but I do think she knows more information than she's leading on to know. I think her boyfriend and her, in some way, some shape or form, either knew more evidence or knew more information about what had happened that night or were in the apartment, maybe in the room next door to her roommate's bedroom. Like, I think that they were somehow involved in the process, but they were the not the ones who physically killed her roommate. That's what I think. I don't know what that looks like, but I think she knows more than she's letting on to know. Yeah, I would also agree with that because we don't know anything about Meredith and Amanda's roommate relationship, and obviously right. we don't know Meredith's side, Mm -hmm. So who's to say that, like, they were buddy buddies? Like, they could have been at each other's throats. Like, did Amanda have motive for murder? Did Meredith – was Meredith – I don't know. Like, did Meredith have a boyfriend that no one knew about that she met five days ago? Like, maybe it was one of Amanda's boyfriend's friends or the guys who lived below them or people that lived above them. There's just so many – circumstances that I think are too unanswered for me to make a definitive statement of yes or no yeah totally I will say that from what I read and what I understand they were not like buddy buddy at all really but they were definitely cordial and so that to me is like 
like there it seems like there was like there's no motive so I don't know what she would gain from like what she would gain from doing something like this besides like the next eight years of her life being taken away um but yeah so I don't think there was much motive behind it um but definitely that's definitely a good point yeah that's crazy wow I'm insane I like I have to go watch this documentary ASAP. Yeah, it's like chilling. So basically, after I did all this research and watched the documentary, um, I was like, what is this bitch doing now? Like, where yeah, what's she up to? What, like, where do you go from here, you know? Um, so basically, after she returned home, she finished her degree and began working as a freelance journalist. Um, she ended up writing a memoir and a best-selling book about her experience. So now I have to go read it. Oh my god, yeah, book club next month. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, and then she is the subject to the Amanda Knox story on Netflix, which was released in 2016. Um, and now, uh, in addition to her writing career, she appears at events for the Innocence Project, which advocates for people who have been wrongfully imprisoned. Um, and I think she also started a podcast about talking about people who have been wrongfully imprisoned, which is very interesting. A fellow podcaster. We love to see it. Wow, that's intense. Like if she's actually dedicating her life to advocating for people who have been wrong wrongfully in prison either one she's a complete sociopath and is playing an awesome role totally or she obviously cares about this subject a lot and is like I don't want to see this happen to other people like it happened to me I just don't know what to believe like and what freaks me out is that literally no one in the world knows except for her and her boyfriend and Meredith Kircher and like that's it yeah like and who's to say even her boyfriend knew anything? Like, he yeah, could have true. easily turned on her and, like, submitted evidence if he had it. But Ugh, who knows? I just, like, I hate not knowing, Kat. I literally hate <laughs> it. Well, this is amazing, Mel. I hope our listeners love hearing the story. Please do your own research and let us know what you think on our Instagram. Yes, make sure to give us five stars and to like and subscribe and to just keep listening and and spread the word about Please Confirm. Um, But I think that's it from Kat and I, guys. So thanks for listening and peace in the streets. And as always, Amanda Knox, if you're listening, please confirm. (laughs) 